Welcome to the Anxiety Coaches Podcast, a relaxing and informative show where we explore anxiety, panic, and PTSD, sharing how you can overcome them for life. Aloha, welcome back to the Anxiety Coaches Podcast. I'm your host and coach, Gina Ryan, and I'm really happy to have you with us again today as we unpack the many, many ways to heal anxiety, panic, and PTSD using lifestyle changes. Today, I have an amazing guest that I know that you are going to love. I have Dr. Mitchell Mays with me, and um, he is the author of MindGate. This is a great book, and he's got a beautiful surprise and gift for everybody at the end of the show. So please stay with us for that. You can go to Amazon for his book and I will have all of the links of everything we talk about today on the show notes. You're listening to this audio podcast, so you very well may be interested in some of the books we suggest on audio. For listeners of Anxiety Coaches Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. This is a fabulous opportunity to download any of the books that you hear us talk about here on Anxiety Coaches Podcast for free today. Go to anxietycoachespodcast.com slash audible trial for your free book. That's anxietycoachespodcast.com slash audible trial. That link will also be in the show notes and on the website. Well, Dr. Mays, welcome. Thank you for coming. Wow, thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here. Well, I'm going to tell everybody just a little bit about you because you probably wouldn't tell them all these things, so let me do it. (laughs) Dr. Mays lives and works with his wife, Terry, in Northern California, and together they maintain a busy mind-body healthcare practice specializing in body syndromes, adrenal fatigue, and PTSD. Dr. Mays has immersed himself into the new and cutting-edge research on brain and the subconscious mind. It was there that he discovered the cause, a sabotage mechanism that lies hidden in our subconscious mind. His new book, Mind Gate 2, Demolish Fear, Overcome Anxiety, and Create the Life You Want, takes readers to the next level. Learn why over 80% of the population will likely experience adrenal fatigue or PTSD in the very near future. Dr. Mays, you are amazing. I read the book cover to cover. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I am so glad you are here and that you will be able to share with our listeners about the mind, this whole idea of uh, the work you've been doing in the research on this subconscious mind. I think it is not very well um, understood. And I have to say, I learned quite a bit myself from your book, and I considered myself pretty well read on all of that. So it's really, what's amazing is it keeps changing, right? Am I right on that? We keep getting more information. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the research is pouring in at tremendous rates. And tell us if you wouldn't mind starting our uh, show with, what your most recent findings have been on our conscious and subconscious mind and how that might relate to the people who are suffering with anxiety or PTSD. Okay, well, I'll try to outline this a little bit. Most of my clients that come in 
don't come in saying, I have all these fears, although some of them do. They come in with kind of a low-level feeling of sadness or perhaps unfulfillment in their life, and they're not really sure uh, what's causing all that. They think it is often something outside of them, you know, whether it's their relationships uh, Mm. or their work or most of them talk about the, the past a lot and how that's affecting their present. But the first thing I do after I get a, a case history or take the history of what the person is, is actually in my office for is I explain how the mind works. I give them kind of an outline uh, somewhat of what we call mind theory or theory of mind. As we understand it today, with all the uh, neuroscientific research of brain science and uh, neuropsychology <clears throat> kind of dovetails somewhat now, which is, is amazing. We understand the mind now so much more than we did five years ago, ten yeah. years ago, so forth. And now with the use of things like magnetoencephalography, we're beginning to understand how thought actually uh, these, these uh, brain um, um, uh, let's see the term I want to look at. These all the interconnections in our brain are actually you know, the the hardware to the mind, if you will. Yeah. Actually, these thoughts that we have, so that they have actually a weight to them, and we we actually can tell how much or how large that thought is by the amount of reading we get on a magnetoencephalography. And the magnetoencephalography, interestingly enough, measures these thoughts outside of the body. Mm, I love that. And what we're finding, yeah, what we're finding now is that the subconscious mind is actually in the body. That's where it resides. It's not up in the head. It's not up in the cloud. A lot of people think they're subconscious in the cloud, but the subconscious is actually uh, the beginning of our primitive mind. When we're first born, we're kind of like a blank canvas, if you will. And that blank canvas is our subconscious mind, with the exception of there's a part of our mind uh, that we call the primitive area that is part of our primitive brain. And that is the part that has been hardwired ever since, uh, we'll say, caveman days. And that mm-hmm. part there is our survival mechanism. Outside of that survival mechanism, which I'll refer to a little bit later, everything else that we have in our brain or our mind has been programmed or conditioned into us for the most part from the age of about zero, in other words, conception, all the way up to about age eight is what uh, the newer information is showing us. Uh, There are some researchers who believe that the uh, mind is fully programmed uh, by age five. Now, that's a little little scary, but... (laughs) So when I say program, what I'm talking about is that we take in information, even in the womb, we take in information from our mother's feelings, the way she feels. We hear music in the womb. We take in that information, and uh, that information goes into a little recorder that later becomes what we call the subconscious mind. And this recorder, if the information has a certain amount of uh, let's say charge to it. Let's say your your mother was afraid of something, and I don't want to go too deep into that too much. Or let's say she's, you know, very happy, have, was listening to some happy music and and mm-hmm. dancing. Because a lot of people 
think that they just started getting information after they're born. Well, that information goes into our subconscious, and we're now showing evidence that the fetus makes decisions about that information, whether it's good or bad. And so it has a positive or a negative charge, if you, if you will. So by the time we're about seven, eight years old, we have a virtual library full of this information or uh, what we call programs. It's very much like a computer. It's like programming that's been recorded into this part of our mind. About that time, around age eight or so, we start developing another part of the mind called the critical area. The critical area acts as a barrier so that we no longer take in information directly in to our mind. Uh, it actually has to go through this new part in the prefrontal cortex that we becomes the adult mind or the conscious mind. And then it's filtered down through the critical area, and we only allow in, after the age of eight or nine or so, we only allow in that which is familiar to us. In other words, if you get some information in as an adult, you're hearing something, and you have never heard this information before, and this is, we've, we've learned this from tons of learning studies, and when that information becomes analyzed in the critical area, which takes about 16 hours to become fully analyzed, and it's analyzed to determine if it's like anything that we've experienced before. Is it like any of our programming? And if it's not, the mind or the brain will actually kick it out in the form of what we call venting dreams. So this is a, this is a way that we, when we take in information and we take in trillions of bits of information during the day as an adult and as, as a child too, but this is a way that we can filter out information that's unnecessary. So what a lot of people don't understand is that children up until about the age of eight are actually in a uh, unique state. They're not fully conscious as a lot of people think they are. They're actually in a state of hypnosis. And, and I'll explain what that means in a moment. Their brain is not operating on the levels of an adult. They're in a slower brainwave state, even though they may appear to be very active. And it's um, taking in information still. People who um, have children have probably noticed how their children don't listen to them very well at a certain age. <laughs> but the children are always watching them. Yeah. So they're taking in this visual information. They're also taking any emotional information. So that all gets put into their little biocomputer or their subconscious mind. So not to confuse the issue too much, but basically around between the ages of, we'll say, 8 and 12, our critical area is fully developed, and the critical area it resides between our subconscious or below conscious awareness and between that and our newly formed adult mind or conscious mind. Mm. Adult mind is the part of our mind that is uh, logic and reasoning. Uh, this is where our willpower resides. And I don't know if you know what they say about willpower, but it only works when you don't need it. <laughs> and it's where our motivation is and so forth. So that's our adult mind in the prefrontal cortex. And I like what Bruce Lipton said, Dr. Bruce Lipton, uh, he said, you know, the, the, you have to understand the adult mind is an add-on. That's something that is actually was not in primitive humans, and it's only more in more recent human history that we actually have this adult mind. So there was a time 
in history where we shifted, and this is Homo sapiens, the reason they survived is because, this is the theory anyway, they developed this adult conscious mind so they could figure things out. So that's what this adult mind does. It figures things out. It analyzes, it reasons, uh, it weighs and judges and, and conceptualizes um, information coming in uh, to us. And then when we go to sleep at night, all of this information we receive during the day has drifted down into the critical area where it's analyzed again to see if it's like any of our subconscious programming. And if it is, it actually reinforces those programs or those neural nets and behaviors will continue if that program becomes stronger or activated more often. And the, that information that isn't like any of those programs. The subconscious sees that as actually pain, believe it or not, painful. So it'll kick it out. And those are the dreams we have right before we wake up in the morning. That's why some people come into me and they're telling me about these these weird dreams they're having, mm -hmm. uh, especially right before they wake up. And I let them know their mind is working the way it's supposed to work because they're getting rid of that stuff. Yeah. So <clears throat> in a nutshell, we have a an adult conscious mind that develops after the age of 10, 11, 12. And that conscious adult mind is our reasoning mind. And that's our also our thinking mind. The subconscious mind, which has uh, been there since we were first conceived, is the part that's more like a recording of all the information we've had and the decisions we made about that information. And that information is what creates our thoughts. Because when those programs are stimulated... They send up information to the conscious mind in the form of symbols, and those symbols are what we call thoughts, and then our body reacts to those symbols in a positive or a negative way. So it's a feedback loop, and that mm -hmm. positive or negative way is what we call emotions. So when I first get when I get a client in at first, I I explain this theory of mine and I draw on the board and I'll draw it on paper and make sure, of course, they have a copy of my book if, and to, to kind of, if they can get their way through that third chapter about. Oh, yeah, because those visuals are perfect. The, those visuals are beautiful. Thank you. And, um, and then we, we work on actually keeping, uh, getting the anxiety down. And I have a whole protocol for getting the anxiety down. When we get the anxiety down, people can start using their adult conscious mind the way it's supposed to be used instead of to frighten us and uh, react to the, you know, to the programming from the subconscious that may have been stimulated from listening to negative news, for instance, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of in a nutshell there. Beautiful. Thank you. It, it's actually, it's, it's complex and it's much easier to show. Um, I know you had asked me about an, um, an audible book and it's uh I've been struggling a little bit with that trying to create that because it's a it's a um concept or an idea on how the conscious subconscious work together. It's kinda of difficult to talk about. It's easier to show in a drawing, you know. Absolutely. That's why everybody needs to get the, the hardcover book. <laughs> get it uh get yeah, that's right. Get it where you can see it. Right. Because and so I'm hoping that you can even now that we have a little bit of a picture in our mind of what this looks like. And so you are this critical area. Is that the mind gate? Yes, the critical area is what I call the mind gate, because it does act like a gate. It opens and closes. 
it opens up or disorganizes what we call in, in uh, neuroscience lingo. Mm-hmm. Um, it opens up when we fall asleep and that, that is, that is the, how it's supposed to work. But unfortunately we fall asleep often when we're wide awake in our society. And, and that's, uh, the problem with anxiety. That's what actually creates most of our anxiety. Beautiful. You led right into my next question. <laughs> what is the anxiety? And do please explain to us uh, this falling asleep when we're awake. This is so important for people to understand. Yes. Well, if you've ever been driving on the freeways, uh, in Southern California or in the Bay Area, Northern California, for instance, or any other big city, uh, and the five o'clock rush hour traffic, and which starts, it seems like about three. I don't know. I never seem to be able to hit it just right where I can get through there. But yeah. if you just look around at other drivers, you will see that falling asleep uh, phenomena in, in um, full force. You can see the looks on people's faces. They're not looking very happy. Uh, mm-hmm. They're in what Alvin Toffler called the tranced state, and people don't want to hear they're tranced. But what that is caused from is information overload. Too much information coming in too fast overloads our mind gate. So instead of waiting 16 hours to fall asleep like we did in caveman days, and actually 100 years ago, we weren't getting as much information coming in. But Alvin Toffler wrote a book called Future Shock in 1970, was mm-hmm. describing this phenomena beautifully when he said, following World War II, uh, when we were an industrialized nation, we became a super industrialized nation. And so in the 50s and 60s, <clears throat> there was so much change that occurred in our society uh, so quickly, and not just in the United States and all industrialized nations, that it overloaded our minds. We couldn't hang with too much change, too fast, and so that overload basically overloaded the mind gate where it could no longer hold that information, analyze it, so it would disorganize while we're still awake because what happens when we have too much information coming in, it's like being um, all of a sudden scared out of our wits, being confronted by, a let's say, a, a wild animal or something. We will go into a fight-flight reaction and that's a survival mechanism. We're still awake, but our uh, conscious mind has checked out. The, the blood drains from the brain. It goes into the arms and legs to get ready to fight or flight. And my wife and I call it the stupid pill. So yeah. when too much information, too fast, we go into fight or flight. And that creates that trance state. Or um, Dr. Dan Siegel from the Mindsight Institute uh, he teaches at UCLA School of Medicine. He calls it mind wandering, not daydreaming, but mind wandering. He mm. says it's a destroyer of happiness and not to mention just happiness. It also destroys our body as well. That's what creates the adrenal fatigue that I talk about a lot. It's just yeah. Yeah, constantly going into fight or flight. Fight or flight is what's triggering our adrenal glands all the time. I actually, I would like to keep going on the anxiety and the mind piece, but we can only do that, Mitchell, if you promise me that you will come back and do a whole nother show with me about adrenal fatigue, because I think it deserves that much time. What do you say? I would love to do that. Absolutely. You got it. Okay, good. So now we can keep going on the, the mind gate and the anxiety, because 
Now, you and I know uh, Alvin Toffler and my and um, Future Shock because that was our time yes. to be reading those kinds of books back in the 70s. And um, but a lot of people don't know, you know, aren't familiar with all of that. So just give us more on this information overload. I love uh, I would love them to understand how that can cause as much of a detriment as being, let's say, triggered by being in a car accident or something like that. Right. Because it's the same thing when we go into that trance. Am I correct? You're correct. And yeah, I'd love to expand on that or uh, maybe actually focus in would be better um, okay. to you know, save time, I think. Uh, what most people don't understand is that anxiety, which is kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop or being on edge, uh, that kind of feeling. It's a, it's a little more than just being alert. It's actually being alert and our mind is actually scanning the horizon, so to speak, for something that could go wrong. And mm-hmm. it could be scanning itself, as a matter of fact, trying to figure out something that could go wrong, whether at home or at the office or what have you. But anxiety and fear are actually normal for human beings. It's hardwired into us. As as cavemen and women, we had to have those two uh, emotions in order to survive. And I love how um, Rick Hansen, Dr. Rick Hansen, he's a mm-hmm. psychologist, wrote a book called Hardwiring Happiness. I love how he described this, and I actually asked him if I could quote him, and it's in Chapter 7, uh, Running with the Wolves, or Running from Wolves, I should say. Um, he said that in, as cave people, we could make two mistakes. One mistake is that we could assume that there was a saber-toothed tiger behind every bush, and the price we paid for that was anxiety. And we could the other mistake we could make is assume that there was not a saber-toothed tiger behind the bush, and the mistake we could pay for that is death. So right. we opted to make that first mistake thousands of times, and that's literally gotten hardwired into our physiology. So anxiety is normal to have a certain amount of that, and the fear is normal. But what happens is most people, when they wake up in the morning, their mind starts scanning the horizon of their mind. They'll have thoughts. Thoughts come up, and or they'll think about what they're going to do today or what happened yesterday and so forth. And instead of looking for what's good and what's good can happen, they kind of, uh, not kind of, they definitely look for what's bad and what they need to watch out for. So just doing that first thing in the morning sets the stage for the rest of the day where the anxiety actually gets triggered more because anxiety's thoughts or fearful thoughts literally will go down into, through the mind gate and into the subconscious mind after you've had a certain amount of time in the day where you're getting more and more information, more and more information, or if you're fatigued, if you're tired, uh, that's also information that comes up in from the body into the conscious mind, and you can overload your mind gate. When you do that, you open it up, and now anything negative is going to trigger any of those negative programs that you have, and so it becomes this vicious cycle. So by the end of the day, you're overloaded, you're in this, um, state of, we call it uh, a state of uh, sleepwalking through life. You're actually in a state of fight-flight, and we don't know it. And what happens when we go into fight-flight during our waking hours 
is we're actually going into a form of simulated sleep. We're trying to escape all of the information coming in. So that's what we do. The blood drains from our head. We're not thinking clearly. Um, I did a talk show here recently about uh, with entrepreneurs, and it's called uh, School for Startups. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a great one. And uh, he was asking me, well, does this affect our ability to produce and, and uh, you know, become successful? And I said, absolutely, because you're not thinking. And when you stop really thinking, when I say thinking, I mean being present is what I'm talking about. The problem is yeah. we are thinking, but it's, it's thoughts that are coming up from the subconscious mind, and it's happening automatically. Uh, and unfortunately, most of those are negative. Now, that overloads our conscious mind, too. So most people are in this perpetual state of information overload. It's not just from what they experience in the outer world. It's mostly what they experience from their inner world, their subconscious mind, sending up all these messages. In fact, it was estimated about 10 years ago that we have 60 to 80,000 thoughts per day. Well, now with the uh, with the research coming out of that magnetoencephalography, we're finding out it's more like 700,000 thoughts a day that are coming into it. Wow. So that is what's overloading us the most. So it becomes critical that we keep our mind gate or our critical area intact by keeping the anxiety down. And I, I do that through a process I call BEAT. First of all, when I'm uh, talking with a new client, I do... Um, a case history. I start, uh, of course, with their information, but I, I start with asking them about their diet. Are they getting in regular protein is what I talk about. And most mm-hmm. times they are not. Well, what happens when we don't get in protein on a regular basis and we're just getting in carbohydrates or worse, we go too long without food and our blood sugar takes a dip. When the blood sugar takes a dip, the amygdala in our brain and the hippocampus register that, and they panic. And when they panic, the uh, pituitary is signaled. The hypothalamus is now pumping out uh, hormones to stimulate the adrenal glands. The adrenal glands are pumping out adrenaline, epinephrine, norepinephrine. Then cortisol is produced to go get stored energy because we're in this situation where we need energy fast because we're in a possible fight-flight situation so the cortisol goes to the liver and other places to grab cholesterol to get ready for the fight or the flight. And if we don't have a fight or flight to go to, we're, we're not moving our body fast enough. That cholesterol goes around our belly. We develop belly fat or it goes into our arteries or both. So we can develop cardiovascular, cerebrovascular uh, disease as a result of that. So it's important and it's easy to do to keep the mind gate intact and to keep going into fight flight. And that is the key to staying out of anxiety. You know, so give us, I'd love one big tip on what people could do today to get themselves out of that. Cause it seems like Mitchell, it's an endless loop once you're in it, unless you consciously do something to come out of it. Exactly. If, if once you're in it, you can't even you're so not present because your mind is being flooded with thoughts coming up from the subconscious. And so you're distracted. People, they don't even realize how much time they lose. You lose tons of time being distracted from all these thoughts and our bodies reacting to them, to those thoughts. And usually they're not positive. They're usually negative. Now, if you were in Disneyland 
and you went into fight flight, you might be okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it yeah. All this positive stuff. But the big thing, number one, that I tell people right away is to start, is to breathe. I have a process I call BEAT, B-E-A-T, breathe. And I teach belly breathing or baby breathing, where you stick your belly out and then breathe in deep. And what that does is it allows your lungs to take in a full breath of air. And I ask them to hold that for a count of four and then breathe out a little more slowly than they did. And to do that four or five times in a row, that alone is going to bring oxygen into the body. Because the other thing that happens when we're anxietous is we're breathing shallow. And when we breathe shallow, we develop oxygen debt too much too much carbon dioxide in our body creates oxygen debt, and then that signals the brain also that we're in a panic situation, kind of like you think about a, a wild animal running from a predator, and you, you know, he's, they've got this fast breathing, this <laughs> like that. Well, that is they're trying you're trying to get oxygen back into your into your body, but that is a fight flight reaction. So breathe deeply and get oxygen in your body, offsetting the carbon dioxide. That alone is going to calm you way down. That brings the anxiety down. And then to maintain that balance, I tell people to do that at least five minutes, three times a day. Ideally, you want to stand up to do that, or you can lay back to do it. It's hard to do sitting in a chair. If you have a desk job, for instance, and you get overloaded, which most people by the time lunchtime comes around, they're already un, uh, overloaded. Um, so not just from information, from information from their body about I need I need blood sugar, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I tell them to breathe and then to maintain that eating protein every two to three hours. So when I do um, a dietary analysis, I actually ask them when do they first start eating very often people do not eat anything until 10 o'clock and some don't eat anything until noon and they'll uh, they'll have maybe some coffee or something like that or a pastry uh, which of course as you know carbohydrates are burned very quickly does not sustain normal blood sugar and it tends to spike it so it makes the problem worse and uh, so every two to three hours getting in protein will keep their blood sugar at an even keel so they don't put their brain into panic. And then the A part of the equation is assess. Assess your emotional state. Are you feeling good? Or are you feeling bad? Usually if you're in a panic state, you're not feeling good. You're feeling bad. Now, I have an emotional tone scale, as you saw throughout the book. I refer to it frequently, and I have my clients get very, very in touch with that because often they're very out of touch with how they're feeling. So I start them off with baby steps. Does it feel good? Does it feel bad? If it feels bad, more than likely you're actually in that that uh, overload state. You're in uh, a panic or anxiety state. You're in fight, flight if you're feeling bad and there's no reason. If you're feeling bad and there's no, let's say you're feeling fearful, but there's nobody they're giving you anything to be fearful about or what often happens laying in bed at night people feeling this fear and anxiety come up and clearly there's no threat so they need to understand they're in fight flight when they're feeling that and there's no immediate threat so assessing kind of looking at i teach people how to be the observer of their emotions uh, rather than getting involved with them when you become the observer it's easier to detach and then finally, the T is take action. Uh, taking action could be as simple as getting up, walking around the block, going outside, 
move your body. One of the things that we know from neurolinguistic programming is that our uh, thoughts and our emotions, which create our state of mind, our mind state, drive our behavior. So when we're in a bad mind state or we're in a lower emotional tone, if you will, or just not feeling good emotionally, we're going, to tend, we're going to tend to make the wrong choices. We're going to make the wrong food choices. We're going to make the wrong uh, decisions. We will not make decisions based out of a thoughtful process, but it will be based out of a reactive process coming from our subconscious mind. Taking action also is something that we teach a lot. My wife and I both uh, teach is uh, the emotional freedom techniques or tapping. Just mm-hmm. tapping. So when you're driving down the freeway, you can't get out and take a walk. Uh, but what you can do is you can start tapping on the acupuncture points on the head and around the head and collarbone and talking out what you're feeling. And that immediately calms down your brain and lets it know, lets the amygdala know that uh, you're in control now. And so what that does is that will actually stop that fight, flight, response in its tracks. And we use that a lot with PTSD. It's been well documented. It's extremely effective in PTSD and anxiety cases. So there's things that can be done. You don't have to live with anxiety. It's not something that, the fact that it's hardwired into us, yeah, we have to understand that that's normal to have some of that. But when it's actually running our lives or it's making us miserable and and it's affecting our ability to have effective relationships and whether at home or work, or it's affecting our health even, which adrenal fatigue does affect our health uh, tremendously. That doesn't have to be. This very, very simple steps will keep us out of that fight-flight. So my beat process is, is probably the fastest way. So breathe, eat protein, assess your emotional tone, and then take some action. Beautiful. That's wonderful. And all of that is all outlined in his book. So um, if you guys are, if this is hitting the spot for you, I would definitely recommend that you read that. Dr. Mitchell Mays, I am so pleased that you would come on and that you will come back on and talk to us about the adrenal fatigue because it is another major piece here that uh, I think my listeners would do well to understand. I look forward to you coming back. And, but, um, before I let you go, do you have any last little word, any little word of hope for our listeners? I do. You know, it, uh, people who um, have lived with this anxiety for many, many years, it, it seems sometimes hopeless or they, it feels like you can't get out of it. And now with the new information we're getting through neuroscience and neuropsychology, these simple little steps that I just outlined, that and a few other things will get you out of, out of, those states quickly and allow you to really start creating what you want in your life. Because there's an old saying, it's, it's uh, hard to think about draining the swamp when you're up to your elbows and alligators, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I did want to, I don't know if now's the time to mention it probably. So. Oh, please do. I was just uh, going to say, and now for your little gift, yeah. everyone. I do want, uh, I do want to give a copy of my book to any of your listeners as a gift. It's a, it's an ebook version, uh, as a download. And I would love to give that to you as a gift. I also have a, uh, 30 minute, uh, uh, I can I can limit that. I have to limit it. I have a, a 30 minute coaching session with me about this. If you want to hear some of what I talked about uh, once again, I offer that at no charge. 
I do have to limit that to the first 25 people, though, simply from time. I only have Absolutely. so much time. But if they go to um, – <laughs> this is kind of interesting. I didn't even know this until I spoke to you. I mean, when I heard of anxiety coaches, I had to laugh because uh, – laugh in a good way – that this is um, – my other part of my website is theanxietycoach.com. So wow. you know, there are no mistakes that you and I connected, right? <laughs> we, I know. This is an absolute connection. So don't mess that up, everyone. Yes. For To get a hold of Mitchell, you go to theanxietycoach.com, and you can get the free download of his book, which I'm telling you, that's, that's an amazing gift. And you might be able to actually jump in and get one of those sessions with him. So thank you so much. That's such a generous offering. And uh, I hope people will will take you up on that. All right. Thank you again, Mitchell. And we look forward to seeing you in the very near future. Thank you, Gina. That's it for today's episode. But before I read today's quote, I want to offer you guys the opportunity to jump into our group coaching membership program. You can get into a little bit deeper dive than what we talk about here on the program and get your skill sheets mailed to you twice a month, two group coaching calls, and uh, the secret Facebook group where we keep in touch all month. If you're interested about this, you can go to anxietycoachespodcast.com slash group dash coaching and join today. And now for today's quote. Dare to visualize a world in which your most treasured dreams have come true. And that's from, that's actually from MindGate. And it's the author of that quote is Ralph Marston. I'll be back in a few more days with another podcast, but until then, be well and aloha. Thanks so much for joining us for today's episode of the Anxiety Coaches Podcast. Find more information at the anxietycoachespodcast.com. 